Section 14 of Captain Singleton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Dennis Sayers. The Life, Adventures, and Piracies of the Famous Captain Singleton by Daniel Defoe. We did not much seek the conversing or acquainting ourselves with the natives of the country except where we found the want of them for our provision, or their direction for our way, so that, whereas we found the country here begin to be very populous, especially towards our left hand, that is, to the south, we kept at the more distance northerly, still stretching towards the west. In this tract we found something or other to kill and eat, which always supplied our necessity though not so well as we were provided in our first setting out. Being thus, as it were, pushing to avoid a peopled country, we at last came to a very pleasant, agreeable stream of water, not big enough to be called a river, but running to the north-north-west, which was the very course we desired to go. On the farthest bank of this brook we perceived some huts of negroes, not many, and in a little low spot of ground, some maize or Indian corn, growing, which intimated presently to us that there were some inhabitants on that side less barbarous than what we had met with in other places where we had been. As we went forward, our whole caravan being in a body, our negroes, who were in the front, cried out, that they saw a white man. We were not much surprised at first, it being, as we thought, a mistake of the fellows, and asked them what they meant, when one of them stepped to me, and pointing to a hut on the other side of the hill, I was astonished to see a white man indeed, but stark naked, very busy near the door of his hut, and stooping down to the ground with something in his hand, as if he had been at some work, and his back being towards us, he did not see us. I gave notice to our negroes to make no noise, and waited till some more of our men were come up, to show the sight to them, that they might be sure I was not mistaken, and we were soon satisfied of the truth, for the man, having heard some noise, started up and looked full at us, as much surprised, to be sure, as we were, but whether with fear or hope, we then knew not. As he discovered us, so did the rest of the inhabitants belonging to the huts about him, and all crowded together, looking at us at a distance, a little bottom in which the brook ran, lying between us. The white man and all the rest, as he told us afterwards, not knowing well whether they should stay or run away. However, it presently came into my thoughts that, if there were white men among them, it would be much easier to make them understand what we meant as to peace or war, than we found it with others. So, tying a piece of white rag to the end of a stick, we sent two negroes with it to the bank of the water, carrying the pole up as high as they could. It was presently understood, and two of their men, and the white man, 
came to the shore on the other side. However, as the white man spoke no Portuguese, they could understand nothing of one another but by signs. But our men made the white man understand that they had white men with them too, at which they said the white man laughed. However, to be short, our men came back, and told us they were all good friends, and in about an hour four of our men, two negroes, and the black prince went to the riverside, where the white man came to them. They had not been half a quarter of an hour, but a negro came running to me, and told me the white man was Inglese, as he called him, upon which I ran back eagerly enough, you may be sure, with him, and found, as he said, that he was an Englishman, upon which he embraced me very passionately, the tears running down his face. The first surprise of his seeing us was over before we came, but any one may conceive it by the brief account he gave us afterwards of his very unhappy circumstances, and of so unexpected a deliverance, such as perhaps never happened to any man in the world, for it was a million to one odds that ever he could have been relieved. Nothing but an adventure that never was heard or read of before could have suited his case, unless heaven, by some miracle that never was to be expected, had acted for him. He appeared to be a gentleman, not an ordinary bred fellow, seaman or laboring man, this showed itself in his behavior in the first moment of our conversing with him, and in spite of all the disadvantages of his miserable circumstances. He was a middle-aged man, not above thirty-seven or thirty-eight, though his beard was grown exceedingly long, and the hair of his head and face strangely covered him to the middle of his back and breast. He was white, and his skin very fine, though discolored, and in some places blistered, and covered with a brown-blackish substance, scurfy, scaly, and hard, which was the effect of the scorching heat of the sun. He was stark naked, and had been so, as he told us, upwards of two years. He was so exceedingly transported at our meeting with him, that he could scarce enter into any discourse at all with us that day, and, when he could get away from us for a little, we saw him walking alone, and showing all the most extravagant tokens of an ungovernable joy. And even afterwards he was never without tears in his eyes for several days, upon the least word spoken by us of his circumstances, or by him of his deliverance we found his behavior the most courteous and endearing I ever saw in any man, whatever, and most evident tokens of a mannerly, well-bred person appeared in all things he did or said, and our people were exceedingly taken with him. He was a scholar and a mathematician. He could not speak Portuguese, indeed, but he spoke Latin to our surgeon, French to another of our men, and Italian to a third. 
he had no leisure in his thoughts to ask us whence we came, whither we were going, or who we were, but would have it always as an answer to himself, that, to be sure, wherever we were a-going, we came from heaven, and were sent on purpose to save him from the most wretched condition that ever man was reduced to. Our men pitching their camp on the bank of a little river opposite to him, he began to inquire what store of provisions we had, and how we proposed to be supplied. When we found that our store was but small, he said he would talk with the natives, and we should have provisions enough, for, he said, they were the most courteous, good-natured part of the inhabitants in all that part of the country, as we might suppose, by his living so safe among them. The first things this gentleman did for us were indeed of the greatest consequence for us, for first he perfectly informed us where we were, and which was the properest course for us to steer. Secondly, he put us in the way how to furnish ourselves effectually with provisions, and thirdly, he was our complete interpreter and peacemaker with all the natives, who now began to be very numerous among us, and who were a more fierce and politic people than those we had met with before, not so easily terrified with our arms as those, and not so ignorant as to give their provisions and corn for our little toys, such as, I said before, our artificer made. But as they had frequently traded and conversed with the Europeans on the coast, or with other negro nations that had traded and been concerned with them, they were the less ignorant and the less fearful, and consequently nothing was to be had from them, but by exchange for such things as they liked. This, I say, of the negro natives, which we soon came among, but as to these poor people that he lived among, they were not much acquainted with things, being at the distance of above three hundred miles from the coast, only that they found elephants' teeth upon the hills to the north, which they took and carried about sixty or seventy miles south, where other trading negroes usually met them, and gave them beads, glass, shells, and cowries for them such as the English and Dutch, and other traders furnished them with, from Europe. We now began to be more familiar with our new acquaintance, and first, though we made but a sorry figure as to clothes ourselves, having neither shoe or stocking or, or glove or hat among us, and but very few shirts, yet as well as we could we clothed him and first our surgeon having scissors and razors shaved him and cut his hair a hat as i say we had not in all our stores but he supplied himself by making himself a cap of a piece of a leopard skin most artificially as for the shoes or stockings he had gone so long without them that he cared not even for the buskins and foot gloves we wore which I described above. As he had been curious to hear the whole story of our travels, 
and was exceedingly delighted with the relation, so we were no less to know, and pleased with, the account of his circumstances, and the history of his coming to that strange place alone, and in that condition which we found him in, as above. This account of his would indeed be, in itself, the subject of an agreeable history, and would be as long and diverting as our own, having in it many strange and extraordinary incidents. But we cannot have room here to launch out into so long a digression. The sum of his history was this. He had been a factor for the English Guinea Company at Sierra Leone, or some other of their settlements which had been taken by the French, where he had been plundered of all his own effects, as well as of what was entrusted to him by the company. Whether it was that the company did not do him justice in restoring his circumstances, or in further employing him, he quitted their service, and was employed by those called separate traders, and being afterwards out of employ there also, traded on his own account. When, passing unwarily into one of the company's settlements, he was either betrayed into the hands of some of the natives, or somehow or other was surprised by them. However, as they did not kill him, he found means to escape from them at that time, and fled to another nation of the natives, who, being enemies to the other, entertained him friendly, and with them he lived some time. But not liking his quarters, or his company, he fled again, and several times changed his landlords, sometimes was carried by force, sometimes hurried by fear, as circumstances altered with him, the variety of which deserves a history by itself, till, at last, he had wandered, beyond all possibility of return, and had taken up his abode where we found him, where he was well received by the petty king of the tribe he lived with, and he, in return, instructed them how to value the product of their labor, and on what terms to trade with those negroes who came up to them for teeth. As he was naked, and had no clothes, so he was naked of arms for his defense, having neither gun, sword, staff, or any instrument of war about him, no, not to guard himself against the attacks of a wild beast, of which the country was very full. We asked him how he came to be so entirely abandoned of all concern for his safety. He answered that, to him, that had so often wished for death, life was not worth defending, and that, as he was entirely at the mercy of the negroes, they had much the more confidence in him, seeing he had no weapons to hurt them. As for wild beasts, he was not so much concerned about that, for he scarce ever went from his hut. But, if he did, the negro king and his men went all with him, and they were all armed with bows and arrows and lances, with which they would kill any of the ravenous creatures, lions as well as others, but that they seldom came abroad in the day, and if the negroes wander anywhere in the night, 
they always build a hut for themselves, and make a fire at the door of it, which is guard enough. We inquired of him what we should next do towards getting to the seaside. He told us we were about one hundred and twenty English leagues from the coast, where almost all the European settlements and factories were, and which is called the Gold Coast, but that there were so many different nations of Negroes in the way, that it was ten to one if we were not either fought with continually, or starved for want of provisions, but that there were two other ways to go, which, if he had had any company to go with him, he had often contrived to make his escape by. The one was to travel full west, which, though it was farther to go, yet was not so full of people, and the people we should find would be so much the civiler to us, or be so much the easier to fight with, or that the other way was, if possible, to get to the Rio Grande, and go down the stream in canoes. We told him that was the way we had resolved on before we met him, but then he told us there was a prodigious desert to go over, and as prodigious woods to go through, before we came to it, and that both together were at least twenty days' march for us, travel as hard as we could. We asked him if there were no horses in the country, or asses, or even bullocks or buffaloes, to make use of in such a journey, and we showed him ours, of which we had but three left. He said no, the country did not afford anything of that kind. He told us that in this great wood there were immense numbers of elephants, and upon the desert great multitudes of lions, lynxes, tigers, leopards, etc., and that it was to that wood, and that desert, that the negroes went to get elephants' teeth, where they never failed to find a great number. We inquired still more, and particularly the way to the gold coast, and if there were no rivers to ease us in our carriage, and told him, as to the negroes fighting with us, we were not much concerned at that, nor were we afraid of starving, for if they had any victuals among them, we would have our share of it, and therefore if he would venture to show us the way, we would venture to go. And as for himself, we told him we would live and die together, and there should not a man of us stir from him. He told us with all his heart, if we resolved it, and would venture, we might be assured he would take his fate with us, and he would endeavour to guide us in such a way as we should meet with some friendly savages, who would use us well, and perhaps stand by us against some others, who were less tractable. So, in a word, we all resolved to go full south for the Gold Coast. The next morning he came to us again, and being all met in council, as we may call it, he began to talk very seriously with us, that since we were now come, after a long journey, to a view of the end of our troubles, and had been so obliging to him 
as to offer to carry him with us, he had been all night revolving in his mind what he and we all might do to make ourselves some amends for all our sorrows. And first he said he was to let me know that we were just then in one of the richest parts of the world, though it was really otherwise but a desolate, disconsolate wilderness. For, says he, there is not a river but runs gold, not a desert but, without ploughing, bears a crop of ivory. What mines of gold, what immense stores of gold those mountains may contain, from whence these rivers came, or the shores which these rivers run by, we know not, but may imagine that they must be inconceivably rich, seeing so much is washed down the stream by the water, washing the sides of the land, that the quantity suffices all the traders which the European world send thither. We asked him how far they went for it, seeing the ships only trade upon the coast. He told us that the negroes on the coast searched the rivers up for the length of a hundred and fifty or two hundred miles, and would be out a month or two or three at a time, and always come home sufficiently rewarded. But, says he, they never come this far, and yet hereabouts is as much gold as there. Upon this he told us that he believed he might have gotten a hundred pounds weight of gold since he came thither, if he had employed himself to look and work for it. But, as he knew not what to do with it, and had long since despaired of being ever delivered from the misery he was in, he had entirely omitted it. For what advantage had it been to me, said he, or what richer had I been, if I had a ton of gold dust, and lay and wallowed in it. The richness of it, said he, would not give me one moment's felicity, nor relieve me in the present exigency. Nay, says he, as you all see, it would not buy me clothes to cover me, or a drop of drink to save me from perishing. It is of no value here, says he. There are several people among these huts, that would weigh gold against a few glass beads or a cockle-shell, and give you a handful of gold dust for a handful of cowries. Notabene, these are little shells which our children call blackamoor's teeth. When he had said thus, he pulled out a piece of an earthen pot baked hard in the sun. Here, says he, is some of the dirt of this country, and, if I would, I could have got a great deal more. And showing it to us, I believe there was in it between two or three pounds weight of gold dust, of the same kind and color with that we had gotten already, as before. After we had looked at it a while, he told us, smiling, we were his deliverers, and all he had as well as his life, was ours. And therefore, as this would be of value to us when we came to our own country, 
so he desired we would accept of it among us. And that was the only time that he had repented, that he had picked up no more of it. I spoke for him, as his interpreter, to my comrades, and in their names thanked him. But speaking to them in Portuguese, I desired them to defer the acceptance of his kindness to the next morning. And so I did, telling him we would further talk of this part in the morning. So we parted for that time. When he was gone, I found they were all wonderfully affected with his discourse, and with the generosity of his temper, as well as the magnificence of his present, which, in another place, had been extraordinary. Upon the whole, not to detain you with circumstances, we agreed that, seeing he was now one of our number, and that, as we were, a relief to him in carrying him out of the dismal condition he was in, so he was equally a relief to us, in being our guide through the rest of the country, our interpreter with the natives, and our director how to manage with the savages, and how to enrich ourselves with the wealth of the country, that therefore we would put his gold among our common stock, and every one should give him as much as would make his up just as much as any single share of our own, and for the future we would take our lot together, taking his solemn engagement to us, as we had before one to another, that we would not conceal the least grain of gold we found one from another. In the next conference we acquainted him with the adventures of the Golden River, and how we had shared what we got there, so that every man had a larger stock than he for his share, that, therefore, instead of taking any from him, we had resolved every one to add a little to him. He appeared very glad that we had met with such good success, but would not take a grain from us, till, at last, pressing him very hard, he told us that then he would take it thus, that when we came to get any more, he would have so much out of the first as should make him even, and then we would go on as equal adventurers. And thus we agreed. He then told us, he thought it would not be an unprofitable adventure if, before we set forward, and after we had got a stock of provisions, we should make a journey north to the edge of the desert he had told us of, from whence our negroes might bring every one a large elephant's tooth, and that he would get some more to assist, and that after a certain length of carriage they might be conveyed by canoes to the coast, where they would yield a very great profit. I objected to this on account of our design we had of getting gold dust, and that our negroes, who we knew would be faithful to us, would get much more by searching the rivers for gold for us, than by lugging a great tooth of a hundred and fifty pounds weight, a hundred miles or more, which would be an insufferable labour to them, after so hard a journey, 
and would certainly kill them. He acquiesced in the justice of this answer, but fain would have had us gone to see the woody part of the hill and the edge of the desert, that we might see how the elephant's teeth lay scattered up and down there. But when we told him the story of what we had seen before, as is said above, he said no more. End of section 14. Read by Dennis Sayers in Modesto, California, for LibriVox.